Well, good morning. This is Granny D. Dorcas Smith out of Plymouth, Michigan. I hope you are well after the Labor Day weekend. Seemed like a funny weekend. Everything doesn't quite seem as it normally does at this time of year. Today should be the first day of school in Michigan, and I think many places are doing it online. I know my grandchildren are having in school, although they are in, in Ohio, they've been in school for two weeks now online every day. They're getting quite good at it, actually. So, welcome to the TR90 Body Burn 30 Weight Management Call. We gather every day, five days a week, to discuss weight management techniques and ideas to help us be more successful with our weight management goals. And I have been working on the brain lately. I find that um, being the fact that humans are, or homo sapiens are big-brained creatures, it only, our brain it takes only 20% of our body, but it takes up, no, it takes 2% of our body, but it takes up 20% of our energy output. Our brain is so important. Now, last week when we were um, talking, there was a discussion about some um, development of the brain and the fact that we have three brains. Uh, one of them is called the lizard brain, and that's the one that does everything that we don't know. It, that's how we breathe. That's how we digest. That's how the blood gets thrown around our body. It's how everything works. We, don't, we do a lot of things automatically. So I just wanted to go back and just talk a little bit about why humans... Humans are pretty amazing, but we are not the only big-brained homeo, hominod, hominoid that has been around. There have been many. But what is fascinating is that once Homo sapiens turned up, all the other hominoids seemed to disappear. Not sure why. Since the, I'm going back to read from John Rady, MD, and Richard Madding, Go, go Wild. So I just wanted to review that. Um, let's go back and have a look at what happened 50,000 years ago. Since the time of Darwin, there has been a running debate amongst evolutionists, with Darwin take, himself taking the view that evolution was and is built on gradual transition, shade to new shade, almost imperceptibly between generations. The opposing and minority view, though the through, home, the opposing and minority view through most of this has been that evolution takes sudden radical shifts. And based on my ex exposure to some of these ideas, I think I agree. A view of the, the controversial evolutionary biolog biologist Stephen Jay Gould and Niles Eldridge labeled punctuated equilibrium. The consensus now in human evolution is with the latter point, punctuated equilibrium. In fact, the consensus view says the package we call human, homo sapiens, emerged as a whole in Africa 
on the order of about 50 million years ago. Not much has happened since. This is human 1.0. And, interestingly, there don't seem to have been any significant upgrades. The consensus view was laid out by Gould himself. There's been no biological change in humans for 40 to 50,000 years. Everything we call culture and civilization, we have built with this same body and brain. Yet, embodied in the same cartoon and the popular understanding is the second wrong idea. And you know the cartoon, the idea of a series of links and missing links. In fact, there was not a neat line of human ancestors, each shading into the next to become more and more human-like at every step of the way. The human family tree is not a towering pine with a dominant central trunk. Actually, it's more of a bush than a tree with a series of side branches and dead ends. The most obvious example of this is in the case of the Neanderthal, long known from the fossil record in Europe, Asia, and North Africa. Africa. Neanderthals are the knuckle-draggers in the middle panels of the cartoon. They're also a term of insult that we use for fellow humans we consider unrefined or unevolved to cite one of the more agrarious readings of the findings of evolution. The assumption in this is clear. Neanderthals were simply a step along the way to the pinnacle, to us. But human evolution is not a neat linear progression. Rather, they're evolved and existed for literally millions of years much, much longer than we, the Homo sapiens, have existed. A handful of species of viable, big-brained, upright, tool-wielding, hunting, social primate mates, each successful in its own niche and place. Yet, modern Homo sapiens appear on the scene only 50,000 years or so ago, after 90% of the hominoid evolutionary time has already passed. And suddenly, Homo sapiens become a breakout species. Suddenly, all of these other perfectly viable hominid species are extinct. Every single one. We are the only remaining species in the genus Homo. Interestingly enough, there is a con corresponding decrease, not just in species, but in genetic diversity among Homo sapiens. All species of Homo, not just Homo sapiens, trace their lineage back to Africa. There is no serious debate or disagreement about this. And there remains in Africa some genetic diversity among the Homo sapiens, just as one might expect in a center of origin. But beyond Africa, there is very little 
genetic variation in humans. There is a good explanation for this. Separation of populations is the sponsor of diversity and, and spectiation. That is, branches occur in evolution, in an evolutionary, oh, let me try this again. That is, branches occur in an evolutionary tree when some sort of usual natural event like sea level rise makes an island Glaciers divide a home range and isolate subpopulations, and then we begin to diverge genetically. But for at least 50,000 years, all humans have been connected to one another through travel, trade networks, and migration. The result is a genetically homogenous population. As a practical matter, this means when we speak of human nature, we speak of all humans, both through the time span of 50,000 years and across the planet. Our long-standing networks of connection mean, mean there is no pressure to drift toward a new species. There is no pressure to evolve. Nonetheless, nonetheless, there is some variation and even innovation. Much is made of these differences among the populations for deep-seated reasons having nothing to do with genetics. Take for, for instance the relative. Let me try that again. Take for instance the relatively recent experience of light skin and blonde hair. Through most of human history, since maybe 80% of it, humans were universally dark-skinned. The experiment in light skin began in Europe only about 20,000 years ago, an adaption to inhabiting places with little sun, like northern Europe or the Arctic. Think of how much we humans make of this tiny, insignificant blip in the total genetic makeup of our species. How much of recent human history hinges on who has it and who doesn't. It being a subtle little tweak, not even readable in the collective genome. Other recent experiments include such genetic variations as lactose intolerance or lactose tolerance and resistance to malaria as evidenced in tropical disposition towards sickle cell anemia. In this sense, we humans are evolving, but over the course of 50,000 years, the changes have been so slight as to border on inconsequential, at least by genetic predisposition. We are no taller, no faster, or slower, no smarter than the first Homo sapiens. The first Homo sapiens. We are, to the core, the same guys who somehow outcompeted, outsurvived a handful of very similar upright apes to do something no other species has done before or since: inhabit 
every square inch of land on our planet. But no matter how it happened, it is clear that something unprecedented took place about 50,000 years ago. This creature called human appeared all of a sudden and almost as suddenly as a break and almost as suddenly was a breakout species. The evolutionary changes that powered this breakout are the core strengths of our species and the very characteristics that we ought to pay attention. And what are these traits? I'm just going to read them read one of them anyway that's really important. There's three. Walking and running, fuel, and the biggest one that belongs to humans, empathy. So, we're born to run. Start with bipedalism and running. Our habit of walking on two legs is instructive in terms of what we might gain by re-examining the tissue, the issue with fresh eyes. There is a pair of beat-up in of eight running shoes parked under David Carrier, Carrier's C-A-R-R-I-E-R desk in his office at the University of Utah. And the trained eye can spot these very bit as telling as the shape of a thigh bone. A thigh bone. The brand is British and happens to be favored by a subset of the tribe, minimalist runners, who negotiate through mountain trails. Carrier, a trim, genial, middle-aged guy with oval metal rim glasses, a brush of a mustache and a frizz of curly hair confirms for a visitor that he is indeed a mountain runner. But that is not his claim to fame, at least not in the running world. His claim to fame in the specific world is different still. Runners know him as the guy who tried and failed to run an antelope to death in Wyoming, but then eventually fig- figured out how to get the job done with instruction from African bushmen. It turns out it wasn't about the running. It was about the empathy. Carrier's work and that of his colleagues, his mentor, Denise, Dennis Bramble, also of the University of Utah, and Daniel Lieberman of Harvard, are, is significant beyond dead antelope to those who, of us who run and those of us who should run. Their, find, their finders figure front and center in our way too common experience. A runner consults a doctor to complain of some injury. And let me just talk about what is really interesting is the fact of running versus walking. Let me just go to this last bit. In all apes, sort of, but not fast and not far, and certainly not gracefully, humans can do all of this. Hold on. Oh, let me just go. Humans are built to walk, not run. In the bones, the research detailed 26 adaptions to the human skeleton specific to running, not walking. Some of these, as you might expect, are in the legs and feet. For example, running requires a springy arched foot, which humans have, but no other apes do. Likewise, mandatory are elongate and 
are our elongated Achilles tendons and long legs relative to the, to the rest of the body. Running, as opposed to walking, requires counter-rotation, which is to say that the upper body rotates counter to the lower, negotiated by a pivot of the hips. So running requires far greater commitment from the upper body than walking does, and a whole collection of features designed to cope with the shifting mass. So, just going back to humans, are humans, because... We walk and run, we have fuel and empathy, and we appeared as a breakout species about 50,000 years ago, and we're still evolving, but we don't seem to have evolved a huge amount. We seem to be in the same place we were 50,000 years ago. It's interesting. I wonder what will happen next. All right, let me stop here. Hello there. Is anybody out there or did I talk to the to just the machine today? Oh, it looks like there was nobody out there today. I hope you all have a There's good day. Uh, Victoria's there. Oh, good. Hi Victoria. You're being quiet. <laughs> anyway, glad you were here today. Have a blessed day. It's Tuesday, the Tuesday after Labor Day. And tomorrow we have CJ on with her view of how to keep your body healthy. I tend to go with the metacognition. I'm really interested in the brain and why we do what we do. Have a great day. God bless. Be well. And we'll see you again tomorrow. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian.